This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Trevor, in spite of Paul. Mm. Paul, how are you doing? <laughs> doing well. Yeah, it's good to talk to you this morning. I'm, I'm hanging in there. We've had a busy week running kids around. Summer's supposed to be, you always think it's like the carefree time, but usually we schedule a few things throughout the summer to keep our kids busy. So we've been running all over Denver this week, but it's been good. Yeah. How are you doing? Oh, doing well. It's been... Yeah, it's just a busy, busy summer, and I've got some busy work stuff over the next two weeks, and then I've got a little bit of a window that looks nice. I hope it'll stay nice. Um, I'm prepared for it. Like it's not, it's not as dreadful as sometimes I feel, but you know that that's always something to look forward to, is yeah. the other side of some of these things. <laughs> right. And do your kids start school like? In August or, or is they it? do? Yeah. They actually start really soon this year. I I want to say the fifteenth even. Yeah. Which to me is pretty early. I, I mean, I, I'm I when I was a kid, we started in the August twenties. Okay. Was typical, like you know, not a week or two before before Labor Day. But it feels like my kids start school earlier and earlier. I know. Every ours year. start really early. I think ours actually they only have two weeks of summer left and they <laughs> they do get a lot more days spread out throughout the year so i think it probably evens out but yeah it's always shocking to me when it's like you know the height of summer by weather standards right like they're going back to school but there's still a, over a month of actual summer i know left and then you do you, you hear you know people back east where where my kids were born starting you know well after labor day really close to the actual end of summer yeah um you know, Moonrise Kingdom, that great film that that takes place at summer's end, you know, literally <laughs> in mm-hmm. the island and is like, you know, September, the leaves are starting to turn and they're about ready to go back to school, you know, when they get back. And I'm like, man, I don't know how if that would be something that I would enjoy more because mm-hmm. I certainly like getting out at the end of May, not going through June. But I don't I know. know. Yeah. When I was a kid, I think we started generally right around Labor Day. Um, so it was a little closer to that. And yeah, I, I definitely had those, the weather starting to cool and that's when you go back to school feelings. So it always kind of had a little bit of that bittersweet yeah. feeling to it. But yeah, it's definitely not the case anymore. It's like, well, it's July 4th, kids. You better start getting ready for school. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul. So we announced a new giveaway at the beginning of our last episode and one that I'm very excited about. I don't think there have been any of these that I have not been excited about. Mm, no. <laughs> but in this one, we are giving away a signed copy of each of Mark Haber's two novels. <laughs> We're not giving away two copies of each of his novels. <laughs> um, two signed copies will arrive at someone's, of, of, and they'll be of Mark Haber's uh, Reinhardt's Garden and of St. Sebastian's Abyss. We will be purchasing them through Brazos Bookstore. Mark says he's on the lookout for whoever's name it is and he will he will sign them and and we'll get these delivered. We opened this up for international listeners as well, which we'll continue to do um with with other giveaways when we're the ones in charge of the shipping. Um I can't do that with the publisher episodes cuz that really, you know, shipping is is pretty expensive and I I don't want to have them have to start shelling out hundreds of dollars <laughs> right. for for to to, to support these giveaways when they're already doing so much. Um, but today's winner, do you, do you do any kind of special 
whoop whooping or, or a song and dance as we get ready to uh, announce who this is? I can't say that's my specialty. We might have to just uh, edit something in because I think my drum roll would just end up with a bunch of spit all over my microphone. <laughs> all right. Well, here goes. Congratulations to David Hobson. Exciting. All right, David. Yeah, we'll we'll be in touch to get your address, and then I'll, I'll be in touch with uh, Mark at Brazos. And I'm excited for you to read these books, or if you already read them, to gift them to someone else who will who will experience that joy. Um, and thanks to all of the entrants. This one we didn't have anybody. You know, you may remember I just said just send me an email saying you'd like to enter, and that's pretty much what we got. And that's very that was that was totally fine. But we don't have a lot of you know emails or things like that to to necessarily read. <laughs> no, but I was encouraged by the volume of people who sent in their names. It was exciting that to was see. Like we've talked about. I feel like Mark is people are starting to really appreciate his work or be curious about his work if they haven't read it. And the buzz is kind of building. So it made me happy to see so many people that were interested in winning this. So yeah, keep them coming in future episodes, people. And a lot of people who said, "Hey, I." I've actually already been turned on to those books thanks to you know the podcast or to uh, Instagram or Twitter or wherever wherever folks have been promoting uh, Mark's books. A lot of people have been finding them and loving them. Mm-hmm. It's been really fun to to see that as well because these are these are special ones. It's not just because we like Mark. No. Um, these are these are fantastic books. So s- sorry for those who did not win. Still go out and read these books. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I would still suggest picking them up. Obviously, ideally from an independent bookstore, library, I mean, wherever you can get your hands on them. And that's one thing I will say. I found out, again, how generous a lot of our listeners are because there were quite a few entries that said they've already read them or already owned them, but they mm-hmm. were going to pass them along to someone else. So that was cool to see, too. Yeah. Yep, that was. And I can't remember. I can't remember if that's the situation that we have here with David or not. I, I can't remember his particular email, but I kind of feel like his might've been one that just said, I'd like to win these books. So congratulations. We'll get these over to you. All right. Other, other little business with a giveaway. So I, I've got an, a copy of Salka Valka, the Halder Laxness uh, novel that just came out a month or two ago from Archipelago that I do want to give away. But I'm going to say we will do this giveaway and the rules and of engagement and all of that in our next recording. For people who listen to these, you know, a week or two after we release them, usually there's not enough time for you to join the giveaway. So if you're hearing this one and it's still, you know, somewhere before the the middle of August, go to our next episode it's, if it's out, you know. <laughs> It'll be the episode on Willa Cather's A Lost Lady that we will be releasing, uh, recording, um, I believe, on August 6th. And so it'll be released the next Thursday. So sometime, if, if you're listening to this and it's August, really, go and find the next episode if it's out, and you'll hear in there a way to enter the, uh, the Salka Valka giveaway. And this book... I haven't really dug into it yet. When I first got it, I started kind of just tasting it and I'm really Mm -hmm. excited about it. It looks really good. It's a big, thick one, probably perfect for, you know, uh, a fall evening as we start to look forward to that time of year. Um, You know, so this will be an opportunity and I've got that in my possession. So again, we'll have that open for listeners wherever you are in the world. You know, we'll send it to, to Australia or to India or, you know, 
probably go poor and, and, and go, you know, go broke, but we will get it to you for, for your reading pleasure. <laughs> just kidding. By the way, we, we're going to be doing just, just fine. Um, you know, we, I won't go broke sending out this, this book, but, uh, but we're, we're excited to get it to you. Yeah, I think that was actually when we did our Archipelago episode, when we were looking ahead to their catalog, that was the one that I chose for the book I was most mm. looking forward to. And I do have a copy sitting over on my shelf. So yeah, if if you haven't heard about that one, read either listen to that episode or read the description or both. I mean, it sounds like it's a treat. So yeah. I agree. I think that would be a good one to read maybe in the fall. It's a big doorstopper, yeah. but it sounds like it's got lots of interesting stuff going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it as well. And so, yeah, in our, we will announce how to enter that giveaway, um, in our next episode, a a lost lady. So no pressure yet, but we just want to make sure the word gets out so that again, people who listen to these a week or so late, later than they come out, still, still feel like they have a chance to, to win. Not that, you know, not that I'm too worried about that. These will happen when they happen. We'll be quicker on the turnaround on many other giveaways. Um, and it's not an attempt to pressure people into downloading and listening right away. Um, it's just the way that it, it, it works as we record. But at any rate, this one gives you a little bit of a little bit of a warning. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Take advantage. So, all right. Well, Paul, what have you been reading lately? Yeah, I have been reading a few different things. One of them I will talk about during this episode. It's a reread that was prompted by this episode um, that I've been doing this week. But then I also just barely started The Price of Salt by Patricia Highsmith, which I'm really enjoying so far. I'm probably only 20 or 30 pages in, and it's been a while since I've read any Highsmith. Um, I really loved the Ripley novels when I read those. And so this one, you know, I was kind of just doing what we were talking about earlier before we started recording here about looking through my bookshelves and just perusing. And I saw that on there and I was like, ah, Highsmith, that sounds really good right now. So starting that and really enjoying it. And then I've also been listening to a new story collection from Jess Walter called Angel of Rome. And I've read quite a few of his books in the past. You know, he's probably most famous for his novel, Beautiful Ruins, but he had another really good one called The Financial Lives of the Poets. His most recent one before this was called The Cold Millions, but I've always really liked his stories. He had a collection that came out a while back called We Live in Water that I thought was really good. He's got a really good voice. He's he's wonderful at writing dialogue, and what I like about him is he he's really good at writing humor, but as I've said before, that's not necessarily something that draws me in. You know, funny books isn't necessarily one of my go-tos. And I wouldn't say that's what these are. They're, he's, off, uh, he's often covering some pretty rough topics or some serious, you know, things are happening, but he's, he will mix in some humor. So he's, I don't know, have you read any of his books, Trevor? I haven't yet. I've yeah. seen, you know, a lot of people talk about Beautiful Ruin mm-hmm. uh, and, and not just the same, you know, people that I usually talk to books about, like all across the board of, you know, friends who I just happen to know through social media or, you know, friends from high school who have gone off and I only see them on social media. Mm-hmm. A lot of them really love that book. <laughs> yeah, he's a really good writer. And um, he used to host a podcast with Sherman Alexi. It didn't last a real long time, but maybe for a year or two. Um, and I, I really enjoyed listening to him. You can tell he's just one of those people that's very insightful. Like I said, he is funny, but he also has, I don't know. He just has, there's something about him. His insights into humanity are really interesting. The 
My favorite story so far in this collection is one called Drafting. And it's about this woman who has been diagnosed with cancer. And so she ends up hanging out with this man that she used to date. She had an affair with him a few years before. And he's kind of this guy that a lot of the people around him think he's a bit of a loser. You know, he's heading into his 40s, but he still kind of dresses like a skater. And he still, you know, drinks too much and kind of parties and just kind of drifts through life. But it's this really kind of bittersweet thing because you can start to pick up that the reason that she's going back to him is kind of because her life is so serious and it's taken this desperate turn. And she kind of wants to revisit this more innocent time and kind of hang out with somebody who just kind of takes life as it comes. And so, boy, that book, and and there's a scene at the end that just got to me for sure. So yeah, I would really encourage people to check out this collection. I'm probably about halfway through and I love all of it so far. So that's what I've been reading. How about you? What are you, what are you doing these days? All right. So I finished books this past week and haven't started my next one yet. Uh, One of them I'll bring up here in a bit because it's Mm -hmm. one that I read for today as well. And then the other one, I went to the bookstore last night with my son to, you know, look around, pick out a book. He ended up walking away with some Lego. Um, (laughs) He and I have the same birthday and our birthday was this past week. And so we had some money at the bookstore to spend and he he bought Lego. (laughs) He wanted a book, but turns out they have it at the library. So he was okay putting it back and and you know he he liked he loves going to the bookstore to get books too but he walked away with lego but i bought a book that you have recommended in the past um tigana by guy Mm. gabriel k yeah so i i picked that one up and might end up starting it today however the 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 next one that i really need to start today is will gathers a lost lady so those are the two books that i will be reading next um with preference going to a lost lady first and it's pretty short. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we'll be talking about that on our next episode. So I've got to get, get into it, make sure that I don't finish it right before we start recording (laughs) or worse after we record. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That wouldn't be ideal. That won't happen. Uh, But I do want to make sure there's both time for me to read it and time for me to sit with it. And so I'm going to be starting that one today. So that's where I'm at. I'm at a fresh start today but those are the next ones i will be reading and then like i say i'll talk about the one that i just finished um here and here in a little bit yeah i like those moments i like those fresh start moments like i mentioned to you in an earlier episode that we recorded for our patreon viewers um my wife hates that time where you finish (laughs) a book and you're kind of like trying to find what to read next because she gets really attached to the characters Mm -hmm. in the books and so she has kind of like that mourning period and i'll have that sometimes but for me it's kind of more often a very exciting, like looking at my shelves, like I could start anything on this whole shelf. And, you know, (laughs) for me, there's a lot of anticipation, but yeah. So I kind of like that time and I'm with you on the lost lady. I have not begun it either for the simple reason that I wanted to have it kind of fresh in my Mm -hmm. mind as we talked about it. But for everybody listening, keep an eye out because we're going to start doing some, you know, a little bit more chatting about that on Twitter and elsewhere with a hashtag and maybe mm-hmm. get some thoughts from other people. Cause I know there's a fair number of you that are planning to, to read along and everything. So when you, when yeah. you said that, it just reminded me, we should probably mention that. And I may have to ha- rely on you quite heavily since again, that particular week between uh, right mm. after this episode goes up and before we record is going to be a bit of a tough one for me work-wise. For sure. um, so if I'm being silent folks, it's not because I'm not engaged or interested. It's just, you know, 
the sooner that I can get done with these work things in life, I think the better, but that's going to, you know, that, right. That's just how it'll be. (laughs) That's how it goes sometimes. Um, but yeah, no, I would be happy to kind of chat with people. And and like I said, I'll send out a hashtag and we can kind of get some conversations going, but we would welcome everyone's thoughts, favorite quotes, just feedback of any kind. And we'll try to work some of that into our episodes. So, Mm -hmm. you know, keep an ear out and I'll, I'll follow up with everybody on that. All right. Anything else before we jump into our topic today, Paul? I think I'm ready. I am ready also. And don't know exactly. Usually I've thought about how do we want to introduce the topic, some general thoughts. Mm-hmm. But the the idea today is books about growing old. And Paul, this was this was something you suggested. Mm-hmm. So I thought I would try to to get from you a little bit of the why. Mm-hmm. Um, what do these books mean to you in general? And then we each chose five books to highlight, and as usual, that might be the best place for us to dig deeper into the topic. But, you know, just in general, what what called out to you with this one? And and it may have just been like, oh, there's a topic we can do. I don't know. But 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 what what no, do you think? What I I don't know exactly what it is about books about aging, but I think I've always been kind of an old soul, aka boring. Um, from the time I was young, I mean, I was always drawn. I, I think there's something very interesting about getting a perspective of, of people that are different than you. And when I was younger, that meant somebody who was older, not as much, <laughs> not as different now, but um, yeah, I, like, I remember, I know we bring up Stephen King a lot, but I remember reading some of his books and short stories when I was a teenager, where he would have these older narrators who were going through things. And, and I just always found it very fascinating, kind of this glimpse into, I think part of it is what's ahead for everyone. So whatever age you're reading, if you're reading somebody who's older than you, it's, it's like this idea of, you know, there are other people who are already going through what's coming ahead for you. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think for me, there's a lot of things I appreciate about these books. They they tie into a lot of the things that we've talked about that I enjoy most about literature, you know, memories. There's usually some some kind of quietness about them, some introspection. I think that's one of the things that appeals to me. And also, you know, we live in a very youth-obsessed culture. Um, you know, just you're always bombarded by, you know, fresh young faces and, and all the, you know, exciting new, everything's new and stuff like that. So I think it's kind of refreshing to sometimes (laughs) get into glimpses into other lives and perspectives. Even the old faces are exceptionally young these days. Have you ever seen that meme where it's like Paul Rudd is the same age as Wilford Brimley in Cocoon? (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. It's and disturbing. then, you know, Brad Pitt's, you know, turning 80. No, no, he's not really. What is he in his in his 50s? But he still looks like he's, you know, 30. I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, I, you know, what, whatever. I'm, I'm certainly not trying to bag on Paul Rudd or, or Brad Pitt. Wait, wait right. to go, guys. But yeah, seriously. But <laughs> no. And then I was thinking about that, too. Like, I think there's also often some of the books that I'll talk about today have some of this. There's an unvarnished viewpoint that comes with this as characters and people get older they kind of shed some of the superficiality that comes with youth you know not to say that i mean i think at all ages there's still masks we wear and not to say that this is like the true authentic self as you get older but i do think there's some of that where you start to realize what matters or you start to kind of not feel that pressure to perform and things like that so i kind of like that as well um and then one other thing that i think that i like about it is just I read a book a few years ago called Staring at the Sun by Irvin D. Yalom. 
And it was all about how different cultures treat aging and death really differently. Um, and the West in particular tends to kind of shield our eyes or stick our fingers in our ears and say, la, 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 you know, like pretend it doesn't happen. Whereas other cultures, you know, like they will bring the older folks into their homes and take care of them. Or like, you know, if you want to fast forward to after death, they will like wash their bodies in their homes and things like that. And so I think there's also just something about that too. It's not always the most fun topic to think about growing old and illness and these different things that come along. But at the same time, I, I find sometimes there's something very refreshing about, you know, to borrow that phrase, staring at the sun and just like, this is what people are constantly afraid of and thinking about. But sometimes there's something kind of refreshing about just like, well, let's just look at it and talk about it and embrace it. So Mm -hmm. those are some of the things that I think draw me to this type of book. Yeah, those are great thoughts. And so we are talking about old age too, not just, you know, I don't think... I don't think, you correct me if I'm wrong, either of us went into this thinking, oh, growing older, like a Bildungsroman, like a portrait of the artist as a young man. Look how he grows mm-hmm. up to an adolescent or, you know, into a young adult. No, we're talking about people who, who have grown old. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what age we, we each have in our books that are particular, but most of mine are probably 70s and 80s. Uh, you know thereabouts or at least they are they are looking back on on their life with mm-hmm. the expectation that what has passed is much bigger than what is in front of them yeah um and so that's that's what we're what we're looking at here and yeah a lot of really good thoughts the passage of time you know and this is its own topic but i think it's relevant to this today is something i do have a hard time with because it goes so fast and i really do enjoy you know having my kids at home right now. And it's hard for me to realize that for most of them, they're closer to moving out than they are to, you know, the time we've even had in, in our home where we're living right now. We just moved here. It feels like to me. Right. Um, And so those things, and, and they're all home still. I have four sons. They're all still, still around. And the oldest is uh, 15, but I know that we're going to be moving into that stage where they're going to be moving out until all of a sudden, woof, the last one is gone. And I'm not looking forward to that. So I get a little bit angry sometimes at the passage of time. And so these books of, of people who are older looking back can be some, some of the ones I chose are people kind of dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes dealing with the idea that, that their, their work, you know, some of their meaning, some of what they the life that they've expected to live is one way or another past. And now what do you do with what remains? And anyway, we've, we've probably both got books that we won't bring up um, that we can talk about in our honorable mentions, but rather than me uh, put those out there right now and threaten to pick a book that you do have on your list. (laughs) Right. (laughs) uh, Maybe we can go on and, and what, what do you, what do you have? How do you want to start us out with your with sure. your list? How did you put this together? And and is this in any kind of order or do you just have just five random books? Well, it's funny because as I was kind of doing what I usually do for these is kind of just like I, I keep track of my books on that library thing app. So I, I'll look through that. I'll go and like physically look through my shelves. And I was just trying to remember different books. And a lot of the books that I w- would have picked, I'm like, oh, geez, 
I've already talked about that like 10 times in other episodes. <laughs> it's part of what made me realize I'm drawn to some of these books anyways, like what we talk about with the quiet lives or some of these things. I mean, often a lot of the books that I do find myself drawn to seem to be in that category anyway. So a few of these are kind of outside of the, the box that I usually talk about, including this first one. So the first one is a book called The Salt Path. And you talked about the age ranges that we'd be discussing today. This is probably the one that's the closest to an outlier because it's right on the edge of what I would say is the criteria for this episode. The people involved aren't actually really all that old, but it's a book I read fairly recently. It's by a woman named Raynor Wynn, and it's a memoir, which is not necessarily a genre that I read very often. And it's about this couple who are in their 50s, and they are living a pretty steady, you know, comfortable life, but then their life kind of gets turned upside down. They end up getting evicted because of a financial dispute with a business partner, and then they lose this court case. And so they kind of get dumped out of their home. And then to make matters even worse, all of this happens just a few days after her husband is diagnosed with a terminal illness. It's this brain disease that has no treatment or no cure. And so basically, they, like I said, they go from this relatively comfortable, secure life to this you know, just kind of chaotic state within a very short time. And what I thought was really interesting about this is this moment where everything falls apart. A lot of people would probably seek out familiarity or comfort or, you know, draw back within themselves. But instead, they decide to walk and camp along the entire length of the Southwest Coast Path, which is a 630 mile trail that's in England. Um, And so, yeah, it's just, it's a really interesting, it's, it's not a premise cause it actually happened. It's, you know, it's a memoir, but I'll say right from the beginning, this is a bit of a departure from my normal reading because it's not always the most well-written book I've ever read. You know, I wouldn't say this is one where the beauty of the language will blow you away or anything. And it kind of does border a little bit on the like self-helpy, you know, like that book wild or eat, pray, love, you know, it could have fallen into that, but I think it's very fascinating because it takes it in some interesting directions that I wouldn't have necessarily expected. So there's just, you know, they're, they're basically homeless. They choose homelessness and they choose to find some solace in nature and the challenge of walking this trail, which I thought was really fascinating. So there's just a couple of short quotes I was going to read. Um, she says on a basic level, maybe all of us on the path were the same. Perhaps we were all looking for something, looking back, looking forward, or just looking for something that was missing drawn to the edge, a strip of wilderness where we could be free to let the answers come or not to find a way of accepting life, our life, whatever that was. We were searching this narrow margin between the land and the sea for another way of being, becoming edgelanders along the way, stuck between one world and the next, walking a thin line between tame and wild, lost and found, life and death at the edge of existence. And I just thought that was a really interesting quote. Um, And I think that is what made me think about this aging topic of that, the edge of existence and walking a thin line between life and death. You know, a lot of these books tend to focus on that. You know, you're, you're right before this unknown part of your life where you don't really know what to expect next. And this book in particular, they got fast forwarded to that point much more quickly than they thought they would. And so they end up, you know, dealing with that as they're kind of walking along the path, which I thought was really interesting. And I also really liked, um, it touches a lot on how people can become marginalized or forgotten. And that can happen based on age or illness, or sometimes just being pushed out of society for other reasons, you know, people that end up being homeless or something like that, where 
you know, they're sitting there and, and people might marginalize them or, or, you know, not pay attention to them or something like that. So I also thought that was interesting the way it ties into how older people can kind of get pushed out of the daily parts of society and kind of sit there on the sidelines. So, you know, it's just a really interesting book because they met people along the way, way they would react to them in all kinds of different ways. Some people would be very judgmental that they'd made this really eccentric decision and that's not the best thing for your husband right now. He's ill. He shouldn't be out here, you know, doing this. And there's other people that were fascinated or very empathetic everywhere in between. Um, So anyway, you know, at the very end, she writes, life is now this minute. It's all we have. It's all we need. And I just thought that that spirit was very fascinating in this book. And like I said, it was, you know, probably right on the edge of, of the old age topic, but I thought because of the illness that her husband was going through, it kind of ties in nicely to this overall topic. Yeah, nice. I, I do like that. All right. And that's not one that I, I don't even know if I'd heard about that until now. So <laughs> yeah, I, I got it at the library and I don't even remember how I heard about it. Like I said, it wasn't necessarily one that would tie into my normal reading, but yeah, I would definitely encourage people to, to pick it up and read it. It's, it's a good book. All right. Well, I'm going to, uh, my first one is similarly from a, maybe a different perspective. Um, it is also nonfiction. It is Philip Roth's Patrimony from 1991. Mm-hmm. Have you read that one before? I have not read that one before. I, I own it and I keep meaning to pick it up. It's, 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 a, it's a really good one. So Philip Roth's father, Herman Roth, first generation immigrant to the U.S., and he's 86 years old as the book begins and wakes up one morning without being able to move, I think, part of his face. And the doctors think he has Bell's palsy. You know, that's something that they can treat. But they actually find out that they're wrong. He's got a tumor. It's been there for a while. So really, this book is about the death of his father. And Roth can really get into, you know, he, he doesn't shy away from some of the, you know, intimate hard things to go through when someone you love is getting older, you know, that they would be embarrassed about, you know, as they start to lack control of their body, you know, and their bodily functions and whatnot, there's an extended passage about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think it's done in any kind of leering way here. I mean, Roth is really dealing with his father's, um, you know, death in the memoir because, you know, I think it was written afterwards, but it's about that period reaching out to that. And he goes through talking to his father about this. He goes through, uh, you know, realizing that is that he doesn't play a big role in his father's will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Philip doesn't, which he acknowledges is because he suggested that to his father. You know, here here's Philip Roth doing well, doesn't need the money, doesn't need anything. Give this money to my brother who has a family who needs needs more of this. You know, he's the one who talked his father into doing this. But when it comes down to it, there's some bitter feelings that his father actually did, you know, and does he, you know, doesn't he deserve some of this too? And so he's dealing with his own demons of, of what, what does that mean? How can I, how can I feel both ways? Like, no, I don't Mm -hmm. need this, but somehow I feel entitled to it and a little bit bitter about it. And it's just a bunch of different, different things about when death is, you know, impending, he, he drives his father around Newark. And at the time I read this, I lived right off of Newark. I would drive around Newark sometimes to go and track some of these places. 
and talking about these are the neighborhoods we grew up in. They are very different now. And so it's almost like not only is my father passing away, but so is an entire generation and an entire history. Of of course it is. We get that intuitively, but to see it playing out all of a sudden is, is, is pretty stark. And this is a, this is a a really interesting, uh, I thought very heartfelt you know, memoir, a very touching one, which mm-hmm. maybe you don't always expect from from Philip Roth. You might think that he might lean into the other stuff a little bit, but no, I think he's genuinely, um, genuinely looking at his relationship with his father in a way that's that's very, very touching. And I would put it up there as one of my favorite Philip Roth books. So, and. There- Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, it's all all about this this growing old, but from a perspective of someone young watching, you know, you know, younger watching that happen. Yeah, I feel like somewhere maybe it's in the Zuckerman Bound, those first four books. I feel like there was a passage in one of his fiction, in one of his novels that um, touches on a father's death. That was one. I I keep trying to remember what book it was from, and I've been trying to remember it for years, but there was a scene that stuck with me about a father dying that I thought was one of the best kind of deathbed scenes that I've ever read. Um, And so I would be fascinated knowing, I think I knew generally that that's what this was about, but that kind of prompts me to really pick it up and read it because like I said, I know he can do it really well just based on that other passage that I remember. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I may, I, I'll have to look and see if I can find out which book that one's into. Cause I remember yeah. that too. Yeah. So. It's one of those that's been sticking with me for a long time. I wouldn't mind reading it again. Right. Well, what do you got next? So my next one is a book called our souls at night by Kent Harif. Um, And so I was just going to read kind of the opening passage of this because I think it's best to kind of just drop it in. So this is how the whole book starts it says, and then there was the day when Addie Moore made a call on Lewis waters. It was an evening in May, just before full dark. They lived a block apart on Cedar Street in the oldest part of town with elm trees and hackberry and a single maple grown up along the curb and green lawns running back from the sidewalk to the two-story houses. It had been warm in the day, but it had turned off cool now in the evening. She went along the sidewalk under the trees and turned in at Lewis's house. When Lewis came to the door, she said, Could I come in and talk to you about something? They sat down in the living room. Can I get you something to drink? Some tea? No, thank you. I might not be here around here long enough to drink it. She looked around. Your house looks nice. Diane always kept a nice house. I've tried a little bit. It still looks nice, she said. I haven't been in here for years. She looked out the windows at the side yard where the night was settling in and out into the kitchen where there was a light shining over the sink and counters. It all looked clean and orderly. He was watching her. She was a good-looking woman. He'd always thought so. She'd had dark hair when she was younger, but it was white now and cut short. You probably wonder what I'm doing here, she said. Well, I didn't think you came over to tell me my house looks nice. No, I want to suggest something to you. Oh? Yes, a kind of proposal. Okay. Not marriage, she said. I didn't think that either. But it's a kind of marriage-like question. But I don't know if I can now. I'm getting cold feet. She laughed a little. That's sort of like marriage, isn't it? What is? Cold feet. It can be. Yes, well, I'm just going to say it. I'm listening, Lewis said. I wonder if you would consider coming to my house sometimes to sleep with me. What? How do you mean? I mean, we're both alone. We've been by ourselves for too long, for years. I'm lonely. I think you might be too. I wonder if you would come and sleep in the night with me and talk. And so 
that I could keep going because there's, there's another page or so of that little intro, but that's the basic premise of this book. Um, so she, she comes and, and proposes this idea and it's not, as she goes on to say, it's not about sex or anything intimate necessarily. It's just more about loneliness and having somebody to talk to in the, in the dark, long hours of the night. Um, and so that's how it starts. And then it slowly follows these two characters as their relationship kind of develops. You know, they've known each other. They've both been married in the past and they've, they've known of each other. Um, but they start to develop this own relationship, but then it also involves, you know, they live in a small town. So over time, as they start to spend more time together, you know, the town gossips start to go and they both have adult children and their children aren't necessarily approving of this new relationship. They're a little skeptical or even, disapproving of this whole idea and then on top of that of course both characters you know they're older so they have these backstories that we learn about through memories and conversations that kind of add complications to this whole thing and so this is one of those books where based on the premise it may or may not sound appealing and it kind of could border into the saccharine or a little bit silly but i found um, a review from ursula Le Guin in the guardian that i thought really did a good job of explaining why this is so successful And she says, writing about the everyday is a tough job. The extraordinary, the thrilling, the transgressive provide automatic glamour, but it takes a brave author to try to describe lives that are so commonplace as not even to be extraordinarily unhappy. And happiness, not sexual satisfaction, not reward of ambition, not ecstasy, not bliss, just day-to-day happiness has practically vanished from fiction. She says, I don't think there's a false word in Kent Harof's final novel, Our Souls at Night, nor... For all the colloquial ease and transparency of the prose and the apparent simplicity of the story, is there a glib word or a predictable one? So I really liked that. Like I said, it could have been saccharine, but it isn't. It's it's so well done, and it doesn't shy away from the fact that they've had these full lives. They've had spouses before. They have grown children. They have grandchildren. So there's lots of complications. It's not that. But at the heart of it, there's this kind of this human simplicity of just loneliness and finding somebody to talk to and kind of share the last part of your life with that I thought was really well done. So have you read that? I I haven't. I've read Kent Harif before and that one's one that I have and realized as I was preparing this episode that I should probably read it in preparation for this episode because I've I've looked forward to it, but I have not read it yet. Um, But I'm glad you brought it up. It keeps me keeps me on my toes. Yeah, exactly. And there's actually a really good um, movie version of it that came out that stars Robert Redford and Jane Fonda. And I wasn't sure if I would like it or not because I it's such a unique book that I think, like I said, it could have if it had been done poorly, it could have gone off the rails pretty quickly. But it's actually really well done. So I would recommend that people try that as well. It's it's really well done. So. Well, and you just you you just uh, brought out a book that he wrote in his old age. I think he died at age seventy one, and that came mm-hmm. out a couple of years before he died. Don't know exactly you know when he wrote it, but sometime in his sixties, you know, late sixties. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to bring up one that's also written by someone who who's in the thick of it in in you know old age when she came out with this book. Um, this is Cynthia Ozick's antiquities that came out Mm. just last year in 2021 and it's a novella it's not that long it's pretty pretty quick read i was so excited when when it was coming out because i really like ozick's work and the book she had written before this was foreign bodies in like 2010 so it had Mm. been some time 
but she wrote this it it came out like a few days before her 93rd birthday <laughs> oh wow so and man she is so good um but this is antiquities it is about an o- older man who has moved back to temple academy and this is where he had his kind of major years as a as a younger um I can't remember if he's a teacher or, you know, someone at this, this academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's been very important. He, you know, had a lot of authority and a lot of control over people and these kids in, in general. And he's moved back. The, the, the school was shut down due to circumstances, which we kind of come to know later on. But he and a bunch of the trustees have moved back in their old age, almost like a retirement home for them now, but they're still trustees over this school. And so they still feel like they have important work. And he's certainly one of these who's like, okay, what's next for me to do? That's so important. When some of the others are like, we're here just to be done. Hmm. You know, we, we, we're not doing any of this, but he's like, no, no, we've got to write our memoirs. We've got to write the history of the school. We've got all this stuff to do. And it's one of these interesting episodes or, you know, um, interesting books about someone who doesn't quite accept that it's old age and that it's over and that a lot of he is living in in some illusions of what's still coming and not to be harsh but he just simply isn't accepting um like some of the other men are he's you know a little disappointed when some of them turn out not to be writing their their pieces or you know just go and relax somewhere and again, you kind of think, well, for what? The school isn't even functioning anymore. And so it's not just about what do you have in front of you, but it's also a really hard slap in the face of, and all that stuff you thought was your life and so important, no one cares about that either. Yeah. So it's a pretty brutal book, but very well written. And it isn't just about that. The antiquities play in, like actual antiquities from like ancient Egypt play a role, his own his own um, past like there's a lot that Ozick packs into this book, not all of it even very explicit, but you know, just a great, I'm thinking you're in your nineties and you wrote this book and I don't know how you did it so well to, to still just make it kind of thrilling and interesting and all of that, but very good, very good book that I would recommend about someone who's grown old. (laughs) Yeah. No, it sounds really good. I've heard about that one and it's, I've only read the shawl by her, but um, she's mm. somebody that I keep meaning to return to because I know how well regarded she is. And based on the little bit I have read, I know how talented she is. So, that's And she really doesn't good. write a bunch. I mean, you could, you could read all of her books in, you know, a season. Yeah. She, she's, she's bases them out quite a ways. Yeah. Hoping when she's 105, we'll get her next one. So. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it sounds like she's not losing a step. So maybe that'll happen. Yeah. All right. What do you got next? So my next one is um, an author that we've talked about a fair amount on this on this show, actually, uh, Olga Tokarczyk. And it's Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead. Um, we've talked about her, like I said, a lot. You're currently making your way, I believe, through the books of Jacob. And I've talked about mm-hmm. how much I love her <laughs> fl- flights. You know, that one I just loved. I also really liked this book. And this is a fascinating look at an older character who is very prickly and eccentric and somehow also pretty endearing, which is quite a trick that she turns to make you actually, you know, kind of relate to her. So, you know, if you had to summarize this book, it would be easy to kind of 
say that it's like a whodunit or a mystery, which there's definitely a big element of it that is that. But what I especially liked about it was the interiority of, of her. She's such a fascinating character. So she's an older woman named Janina, and she lives in this small village that's right on kind of the Czech-Polish border. And as I said, she's really eccentric, as evidenced by both her narratives that you get, you know, these inner dialogues that she has or in, yeah, inner monologues, I guess. And then like within those, there's all these random capitalizations where she's like capitalizing like astrology or these, these big ideas that she has. And so you quickly get an idea that she's, you know, a different character for sure. Um, a lot of her life is taken up by astrology. And also she translates the poetry of William Blake, which I think gives you a good insight into her mind's kind of the mysticism and these big ideas that she has. Um, and most of her neighbors that live in this kind of secluded area, just view her as kind of a cranky old curmudgeon. You know, they, they give her her space, but she does have some people that she interacts with. And she's also really focused on the nature and the wildlife in the area. And this kind of fascination, some would say obsession, brings her into pretty frequent conflict with some of the people who live around there who are hunters and different things like that, who have a very different view of nature. And so this back and forth between her and the other locals drives a lot of the tension within the book. And it actually kind of leads to a lot of the um, kind of the mystery because eventually some dead bodies start popping up around the area and she attributes it to the animals taking revenge on the hunters and, and killing them. And so you're kind of dealing with this like odd <laughs> idea that she has and trying to figure out what's actually happening. But there's some really wonderful passages about loneliness and aging that have really stuck with me from this book. So I'll just read a couple of them. They're pretty short. Um, it says, what have you done in life? A man asks Janina. And she's left speechless. For people of my age, she thinks, the places that they truly loved and to which they once belonged are no longer there. The places of their childhood and youth have ceased to exist. And if their outer form has been preserved, it's all the more painful, like a shell with nothing inside it anymore. I have nowhere to return to. It's like a state of imprisonment. The walls of the cell are the horizon of what I can see. And so I thought that was really interesting. It kind of ties into what you were saying about Roth and revisiting some of those old neighborhoods where either it's completely different or even if there is still some similarities to what it used to look like. I like how she said it's like a shell with nothing inside it anymore. So I thought that was really good. And then there's one more passage I'll read. She says, I grew up in a beautiful area, now sadly in the past. In it, there was great readiness for change and a talent for creating revolutionary visions. Nowadays, no one still has the courage to think up anything new. All they ever talk about round the clock is how things already are. They just keep rolling out the same old ideas. Reality has grown old and gone senile. After all, it is definitely subject to the same laws as every living organism. It ages. Just like the cells of the body, its tiniest components, the senses, succumb to apoptosis. Apoptosis is natural death, brought about by the tiredness and exhaustion of matter. In Greek, this word means the dropping of petals. The world has dropped its petals. And so, you know, even though it's pretty sad topics and, and a lot of her views on things are fairly negative, she does have a lot of passion about the wildlife. And so she's kind of caught in that where people see her as an outsider and they think she's eccentric, but she feels these things very strongly and she's fighting for what she believes in, the animals and nature. Um, but she's also viewing all this through a lens of, of everything is changing around her. So, yeah, it's a really odd and fascinating book and it's one of those characters she just sticks with me i think about her a lot she's unlike anybody i think i've read in literature 
I haven't read it yet. I started with the books of Jacob, and as soon as I finish it, I'm going to keep going with Tokarczyk's work, but that's yeah. where I still am. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a big one. You, you you dove in the deep end. So There are some old characters in it. One of the central characters is actually dead, <laughs> died oh, wow. of old age, and is you know kind of around still and is a fascinating part of that massive novel. That's cool. <laughs> so, all right. Well, so my next one, I'm, I'm actually going to throw one out here that I probably won't have a, a ton to say about because we've talked about it a lot, but it had to be on my list. I almost thought, well, maybe I should call this the Elizabeth Taylor's Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont Memorial List mm. so that it, it's like the, you know, the, the inspiration for the rest. But Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont, which came out from NYRB Classics last year, of course, you know, I had it in an old Virago edition. I had not read it before that. Um, even though I had that edition, <laughs> uh, what a book about a woman who has gotten older. She has moved out of wherever she was living before into kind of a, it's a hotel, but it's a de facto retirement center as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of the other people are long-term residents in their old age who have come here because, you know, it's still at the Claremont. It sounds sophisticated. It sounds like you haven't given up or moved into, you know, a, a retirement center. It's almost like you've gone on holiday, but they all know that they haven't. And so they're all dealing with old age. They they pay attention to who's taken out by the doctors. They don't last very long after that. Um, what a what a book about wow. um, a woman who is who has grown old and still wants to get around and makes up stories about those who might become, you know, her son who would come to visit her. It's one of the more, it's not about this, but it's a fascinating aspect of it that she meets someone who's younger, a younger man becomes friends with him and somehow convinces him to pretend that he's her son who won't, you know, her real son does not come to visit, doesn't write, doesn't do anything. So she has, she doesn't want to be embarrassed by this as she's talking to the other friends and other people who live there. So she convinces this young man to play that up and be that son for her. Mm-hmm. And he's got his own interesting, weird eccentricities. It, but anyway, Mrs. Palfrey yeah. at the Claremont, if you haven't I'm read so it yet, gl- go read it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you brought it up because I had the same thought. That was one of the ones I was going to mention as a, if we do like an honorable mention, because we've talked about it. But one of the things that you just touched on that I think is so fascinating about that book is kind of what I was talking about earlier, a lot of times when a, an older group of people live maybe in a retirement home or somewhere like that, it's easy to think, oh, they're just, you know, sweet old people that are harmless and they're just living there. But like my wife and I, when her grandma lived in a place like that, we noticed something that comes up in Mrs. Palfrey. There's still people. There's still all of the intrigue and rivalries and who sits at yeah. this table and who doesn't. And it's one of the things that I thought was so it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of a little sad and depressing when you're reading that to realize like, Oh, a lot of this stuff, like it just never really does go away. So I thought that was the interplay between some of those characters that live in that home and, you know, the, the popular crowd and the, the outsiders and all these different things was so interesting. And and Mm -hmm. like I said, a little bit depressing, honestly. Well, hold that thought. Okay. I've still got two more books. Okay. They might both play into that. Perfect. So. <laughs> uh, I will pause it there then. We can go back. All right. You ready for my next one? Yep. Okay. This one I am going to have a tough time talking about. It's The Other Name by Jan Fossa, and it's translated by Damien Searles. 
This one is going to be super tricky to describe. So I'm going to cheat a little bit and read a little bit from the New York Times Review, which calls it an extraordinary seven novel sequence about an old man's recursive reckoning with the braided realities of God, art, identity, family life, and human life itself. So this is, as they say, a big part of the, it's a seven part series. This is just the first two volumes of this septology. And it's the only one, only ones I've read so far, but I'm very excited to read more. And Fossa is very well regarded for both his fiction and his nonfiction. And he actually taught Karl Ove Knausgaard, who's written about him before, and he actually comes up even in his My Struggle series. So Fossa is a very well-known author. Um, so this book, I mean, there is a, a, a plot that runs through it, but that's definitely not what it's about. It's another one of our books that we talk about so much that's basically one long sentence. <laughs> and so there's a lot of ambiguity and interesting things that happen that makes it tough to, to summarize. But basically, it's about this man. I think you say his name, Azel. It's A-S-L-E. So he's an aging painter, and he lives alone in this tiny Norwegian village. And at the very beginning of the book, he's he paints this canvas that has these two lines that kind of intersect each other. And this theme is something that kind of keeps coming up throughout the whole first two volumes is this idea of, I guess it's like intersection and duality and things like that, because we quickly come to realize that there's another man with the same name who lives in the village with him, who's also an aging painter. But this other man who's kind of a doppelganger for him is an alcoholic whose life has gone in very different ways than our main Azel. And so these two, they never really he never really explains exactly what's going on there. But the impression I get is that maybe this other Azel is somebody who kind of represents our Azel's life. Should it have gone differently? Um, but again, that's not really ever spelled out. And so that's what makes it kind of murky and tough to describe, but it also makes it really fascinating. And on top of that, we find out that our Azel was married to someone named Alice. So it's A-S-L-E is his name and A-L-E-S is her name. Plus there's another A-S-L-E, Azel, who lives in the village. So it's definitely one of those where he's playing with this whole idea. You know, it's not just the fact that I wasn't picking up on it. I think it's purposefully ambiguous. So um, if I'm not reading too many excerpts today, um, I'm, I'll just read a little bit of this if that's okay. It's, um, like I said, it's all one sentence. So I'm just going to kind of dive in. It's kind of like when you were reading Krasnohorka in our last episode, you just kind of have to pick a spot, jump in and try to find a good spot to get out. So he's he's driving back from town, this Azel, and he's talking about how he should have stopped by to visit the other Azel because he's not doing very well. He's in ill health. And like I said, he drinks too much. So he says, I should have driven him into town to the alehouse like I've done so many times. And he could have had his beer and his something stronger. And I could have had a cup of coffee with milk and food. Yes, we could have bought dinner there, food and beer for him and food and water for me. Yes, I've totally stopped drinking because I used to drink much too much, and Alice didn't like it. She didn't like me when I was drunk, or at least she liked me more when I was sober, and that's why I totally stopped drinking. But I also stopped because by the end I was drinking way too much. Yes, by the end I was never sober, to tell the truth, and I paint so badly when I'm drunk, and I've never missed it. Not the beer, not the wine, not the stronger stuff. But that's because of her too, because of Alice. Without her, I never would have been able to stop needing to drink, I think. And now Alice is waiting for me, she and our child, and I need to get home to them, to my wife, to our child. But what am I thinking? I live alone there. I'm going home to my old house, where I used to live with Alice, but she's gone now. She's with God now. 
in a way I can feel so clearly inside me because she's there inside me too. She isn't walking around on earth anymore, but I can still talk to her whenever I want to. Yes, it's strange. There's no big difference or distance between life and death, between the living and the dead. Even though the difference can seem insurmountable, it isn't, because it because it's true. I talk with Alice every single day. Yes, most of the time, that's what I'm doing. And we most often talk to each other without words, almost always just wordlessly. And of course I miss her, but since we're still so close, and since it won't be long before the time comes when I myself will go over to where she is, yes, I always understand things like that, I think. So, you know, that just gives you an idea of, it's it's this weird, you know, narrative that doesn't necessarily go in a linear fashion. And he has these moments where, as you saw there, he starts to think like he's still married and has a kid, but then he realizes, no, I'm older. That's the time in the past. And so he goes home to this house where he lived with his wife and son and still, you don't ever fully understand if it's like a little bit of senility or just kind of wishful thinking or dreaming about the past or anything like that. But like I said, it's not going to be one that I can probably put a lot of coherence into my description of it. But all I can say is it's another one where if you like those kind of books where you just read this big, long sentence and it just carries you along and you don't always know exactly what's going on, then it's definitely one for you. But it touches a lot on on aging and memory and the way different lives could have gone and the idea of art and, you know, like they said, God and things like that tie into it a lot as well. So it's really well done. And I look forward to reading the other five in that series. I see uh, on Instagram when I ask, hey, what are you reading this week? That Those mm-hmm. often do come up. Um, but I have not read them yet myself. Yeah. I don't know if I just scared people away or made them more inclined to read it. but uh, I'm more inclined. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've had them on my radar and have been interested, you know, for yeah. some time. But, but definitely that is always a good reminder. So. Mm-hmm. How about you? What's your next one? All right. So my next one is the one that I finished this week. And I think you might be a little bit happy that I finally got to her. I finally read a book by May Sarton. Ooh, I am happy. I had not I had not read anything by her before. I've heard a lot of good things and, and bad things about mm-hmm. other parts of her. But her books, I've always heard these are fantastic. <laughs> yep. um, and I've always wanted to. And uh, Gavin Wolcher our good librarian friend from Montana uh, sent this to me. Uh, I got it maybe a week, week and a half ago and thought, and I didn't even know what it was about. He just said, are you interested? And I said, yeah. And I opened it up and it's about a woman, 76 years old, who is put in, into a, uh, you know, it feels a little more sinister than a rest home, but you know, basically she says at the beginning, I am not mad, only old, I make this statement to give me courage, to give you an idea what I mean by courage. Suffice it to say that it has taken two weeks for me to obtain this notebook and a pen. I am in a concentration camp for the old, a place where people dump their parents or relatives exactly as though it were an ash can. So she has been taken here, like I say, 76 years old by her brother, John, who is older than her. But man, it is... It is it is rough, you know. It's a nursing home. I think it's called the uh, Twin Elms, and this book is. I'm not going to go too much into it because I'm betting this isn't one you've read. Am I uh, right? No, it's not. And actually, I don't know that you said the title. Is it at 70? Oh, or? my my apologies. It's called no, no. As We Are Now. Oh, as we are. 
Yeah, no, I haven't I'm read sorry it. about that, folks. Yes, May Sartans as we are now. I showed Paul. Yeah. And I guess I thought that was enough for everybody else. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't read that one yet. Yeah, so I'm not going to go too much into it, but this is one that is she is she is not happy to be there, of course. There are bouts of with anger, there are bouts with um regret for feeling angry and what she says and does to to some of the nurses, but also genuinely despises these people for how they treat them mm-hmm. as just, you know, the they's, oh, they're all, you know, I know we do that, but boy, you know, reading it from this perspective of this, this character, you're right. You know, you said before they, they're, they're people. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, it's kind of fun to, to think they, they still have intrigue and relationships and, and all that, which I'll again, get to in my next one mm-hmm. um, as well, but also, they're not a they necessarily, you know, like like pets or like, um, you know, uh, where you wrangle up the, the cattle. But I think we sometimes see it that way. And this book definitely, you know, hits on that quite quite hard while still mm-hmm. having a lot of other stuff going on in it. it it's But it's fairly short, 130 pages or, or, or thereabouts. And uh, ends with a bang. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's I've only read her journals still, and I keep meaning to pick up her fiction. And that's the one I would have to say of all of the ones that I've heard about that most appeals to me. I mean, all of her novels appeal to me. I'd like to read everything mm-hmm. she's written eventually, but that one definitely does sound like you said, it packs a punch, but it sounds really good for sure. I've been I'm very impressed with her writing. You know, I, I've, I've had faith. May Sarton, someone I've heard a lot about and I've wanted to get to, but mm-hmm. I did not know what to expect yeah. by any means. And I thought, wow, no, this was really, really well, well written, well done, still reeling. You know, again, I read it this week um, in preparation for this episode and definitely no, it's not one of those where I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how I feel about it. I thought it was, was, you know, fantastic, but I am trying to figure out what what I think about all of that goes on and all of that, but a lot yeah. of a lot of good stuff here. But it sounds like it ties in a little bit to some of, or probably more than a little bit to a lot of the journals that I've read, and mm-hmm. I have not yet read because she's written, she writes different journals or has different collections at different times in her life, and I know that she wrote some. That there's one that I referenced a minute ago called At Seventy, and then I think there's another one that even comes after that. And so she's definitely not afraid of writing about aging and loneliness. And most of the ones I've read were more like in middle age or the very early, like maybe fifties and sixties. But I know that she's definitely one for kind of grappling with all of that. And it's interesting that she ties it into her fiction too. Sounds really good. Yeah. Well, get to it, Paul. Get I know. to it. I need to. And I think we're getting to your last one, right? My last one. Let's and it's one it that I've been reading this week too. It is Moon Tiger by Penelope Lively. Um, this is actually a reread for me. I've been rereading it this week and I actually haven't quite finished the reread, but I, I did read it quite a while ago, probably 15 years ago. Um, so I'm going to, again, read just a quick little bit at the beginning. So this is how the whole thing starts. I'm writing a history of the world. She says in the hands of the nurse are arrested for a moment. She looks down at this old woman, this old ill woman. Well, my goodness, the nurse says that's quite a thing to be doing, isn't it? And then she becomes busy again. She heaves and tucks and smooths. Upsy a bit, dear. That's a good girl. Then we'll get you a cup of tea. So that's how the whole thing starts off. And I think right from the beginning, it shows kind of one of the things we were talking about of, 
I'm going to write a history of the world. She starts out with this huge ambitious thought on her deathbed, basically. And then the nurse is like, oh, that's a good idea. You know, and then she starts kind of infantilizing her right away. And so it doesn't mess around or beat around the bush. It, it instantly gets into some of these things we're talking about of that juxtaposition of, of the dignity and the thoughts that are actually going on inside of an older head versus the way that sometimes they're treated. But yeah, it's such a great setup. Um, the book is largely narrated by a woman named Claudia Hampton, and it is from her deathbed. So she's lying there dying, but a big chunk of the book actually takes place in her memory. So we're going back to when she's a kid or when she's, you know, in World War II, she was um, working as a reporter in Egypt and having affairs and all these different things. So we're getting that juxtaposition where we're introduced to her as this frail old woman, but inside of her head, she's still reliving this rich inner life. And so it's that really interesting dichotomy there. Um, she's another one kind of like the Tikarchik character where she is not always likable. She's very, even going back to her youth, you can tell she is not any kind of like a sweet lady. She has been, you know, living a very complicated life and, and taking full advantage of everything around her. So um, she was a best selling selling author of popular histories, as well as a reporter during World War II. Talks a little bit about her time as a mother and like I said, her various loves and affairs. Um, and so it, it does this really interesting thing where she will each, most of the chapters start with her in the hospital. Something like I just read, that's pretty representative of the way a lot of the pages start off or the, a lot of the chapters start off, but then it will instantly jump back into some of her memories. Um, so it does that thing where it's weaving things in and out a lot, almost like it's kind of a, a fever dream, which I really like. So um, I'll just read one more quick part because like I said, her, her whole idea is very ambitious. She wants to write this history of the world. So she's talking about geology and history and war and all these things. Um, and she says, the voice of history, of course, is composite, many voices, all the voices that have managed to get themselves heard, some louder than others, naturally. My story is tangled with the stories of others, mother, Gordon, Jasper, Lisa, and one other person above all. Their voices must be heard also. Thus shall I abide by the conventions of history. I shall respect the laws of evidence, of truth, whatever that may be. But truth is tied to words, to print, to the testimony of the page. Moments shower away. The days of our lives vanish utterly, more insubstantial than if they'd been invented. Fiction can seem more enduring than reality. And so I think that kind of touches onto the big themes of what she's talking about. She's trying to be fair and she tries to introduce other voices and show other perspectives but obviously the whole time we're inside of her head and she's just analyzing it and trying to write it as a history of her um but then it's pulling in these bigger ideas and everything and all of it with this framework of it's kind of a deathbed not confession but that's kind of the idea behind it so i don't know this book hmm. has really stuck with me it won the booker back in the mm -hmm. 80s and i've seen some people say that they think it is the best most deserving Booker winner of all time. Ooh, you know, it's I, one I haven't read yet. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's high praise. And I, I don't claim yeah. to have read all the, the bookers by any means, but I could see where it would get that praise. Cause I think it's an absolutely fantastic book. So you that's should great. I, I've been wanting to read more of her books in general. Mm -hmm. Um, th there are other ones that, that, I think she's written that that I remember seeing popping up as potentials for this this topic, mm -hmm. but I haven't read them either. Um, they're actually 
several Booker books that are about old age. Um, there's Last Orders by Graham Swift that won. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are others. Right now, my mind isn't quite on on for it. Well, even The Remains of the Day. Yeah. You know, it's not one that I have on my list, but it certainly was an, is an honorable mention because oh. it's it's all about Stevens. I mean, we, we have it from a few perspectives of his own father and his own, you know, refusal to kind of see his father's old age and that that scene. And then Stevens himself, yeah. the remains of the day. Again, the ending of that where he's like, OK, how are we going to take care of this home and make it back to its glory days? It's like, dude, those are done. And yeah. And you aren't going to be a part of whatever comes next. It's so sad. I know. So what does he it's, do with them? You know, he only tries to, to chase down a different um, thing that is sadly a ship that has sailed. I know. It's that interesting tension between you don't think anybody should just be put out to pasture. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's that element of like, whoa, I mean, it's not like you can expect them to just give up on their dreams and their passions. But then there's also, yeah. like you said, that sadness of like, some of those dreams and passions are th- for things that are clearly either on their way out or are long dead. And so that's one of the things yeah. about these books that's, that's heartbreaking, but also fascinating is just that tension of they're still viable human beings who are having these strong feelings and still have the pride and the memories. But then there's also the reality of like their time is closing out. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, and then there's other painful things. This next one that I'm going to bring up, my last one is a short story. And so books about growing old, maybe I cheated a little bit, (laughs) but it's Alice Munro's The Bear Came Over the Mountain. Mm. Have you read this one yet, Paul? You know, I think I did, but I, it was a while ago and I don't remember much about it, except I know it's one of her most highly acclaimed. Yeah. It's the one about the husband, Grant, who takes his wife, Fiona, to, to a rest home. She's losing her memory. She's not always there. And it's about his visits to her while she's in there. And especially when he sees that she doesn't really know who he is, but she has another relation, other relationships going on in this rest home. Um, it's more than this. You know, there's a lot more. He himself is not necessarily, I mean, he's very sympathetic. I sympathize with him, but he has issues as well. But it starts with them, you know, when they're first getting together um, she's the one who says, do you think it would be fun if we got married? And he took her up on it. He shouted, yes. He wanted never to be away from her. She had the spark of life. And then, you know, away from her is the, the name of the film that was adapted from this um, by Sarah Polly that I think is fantastic as well. But um, this is quite the quite the story. Very painful because you know they are they do have a relationship they have been together and it isn't that she's died mm-hmm. it's that she's no longer who she was but she is it's just it's such a rough a rough look at at growing old and some of these you know for some eventualities you know you're not going to die in your bed surrounded by family maybe mm-hmm. and everyone you know ready for it and there, and you know, your spouse there next to you, you know, saying goodbye, I'll see you soon. You know, it, right. sometimes it's not going to go that way, maybe a lot of times. And this is one of the very painful ones about, about all this. And Grant trying to figure out how to atone for his failures in their relationship when he can't really mm-hmm. at this point. Um, but yeah, that, that, this one, I, 
I wanted to make sure got brought up just because, you know, Alice Monroe writes so fantastically about a number of things, and uh, she's she's written great about old age and and even you know some of her most famous early stories um, were dealing with her sick mother who didn't necessarily die of old age but you know had to be taken care of and Alice Monroe's own guilt that she kind of went off and did her own thing while her sister did that uh, there's a lot a lot in her books are about dealing with life as it comes and especially as it comes to an end in a way and this is this is one of her more powerful ones that I think it was first, let's see, it was first published in the New Yorker back in 1999. So it's been, you know, out for a while. They published it again right after she won the Nobel Prize. So in 2013, mm-hmm. October of 2013. Um, but yeah, very, you, very powerful story. Do you happen to remember which collection that's in? Yeah, that's in Hate Ship, Friendship, okay. Courtship, Love Ship, Marriage. Okay. Yeah. yeah. When she started describing it, I, I instantly remembered it and I had forgotten about that movie away from her, but that is a fabulous movie. It's a really yeah. good adaptation. Um, it yeah. kind of makes me want to both read it and watch it again. Cause like you said, it's, it's rough, but it goes back to that whole idea of the staring at the sun that I mentioned at the very beginning where there's something for me that's kind of cathartic about this. If you're in the right place, I mean, sometimes it's just too tough to think about but yeah sometimes instead of it always being at the you know the periphery of your thoughts and everything sometimes there's something kind of like i said cathartic about just thinking about it and looking at it and reading about other people's experiences that i find too there is a yeah i have to have the right frame of mind or a certain frame of mind i won't say it's the right one necessarily because this stuff is awful and painful Mm-hmm. there's a beauty to it too in the humanity that you can see, you know, yeah. I've, there's sometimes dealing with these things doesn't make the pain go away, but it can inject maybe a, a bit of tenderness or sweetness or vulnerability or humanity into them. That is exceptionally valuable. Mm-hmm. Even when you're not old, you know, as I don't think either of us are old, we're getting closer, but we're, right. you know, in our forties. And, and so, there's something about seeing this and realizing I can change maybe some of the ways that I look at these things, both for myself to deal with it with some something that will be actually good. Um, not that that has to be the only goal. This is mm-hmm. awful stuff too, and it can be dealt with as awful stuff. But I've really looked at it, especially with things that have gone on in my family over the last you know few months mm-hmm. of there's you're not going to be able to take away the pain but there can be um some goodness in that formula and yeah. some some strength there and if i can learn to be a little more sensitive and a part of that and to look at it and realize what it is it's better than you know as you said putting people out to pasture or um just thinking, well, this is where they are right now. You know, time mm-hmm. for you to go to the rest home. Time yeah. for you to, you know, you two who have been together for 50 years now. Yep, yep, dad, you're going to have to go live live here. Mom, you're going to live there. It's just the way it is. Deal with it, you know, as if they're as if they're children Yeah. Um, who don't don't have, you know, who, who just need to deal with life as it is from now on. And And I think these stories can help me personally, but also help me maybe be a little more, uh, how can I how can I approach these things in a way that I don't know 
is better. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a great point. It's kind of like what we talked about. I think it was during our archipelago episode where a lot of their books deal with tough topics. You know, there's, there's war mm-hmm. and poverty and these things, and it's not always the most fun thing to read about, but it's that idea of, I think a shared humanity where a lot of this stuff will impact us at some point in our lives and to just pretend it doesn't happen until it happens to you to me is very short-sighted. It's more about mm-hmm. the idea of the good and the bad is all part of being a human. And so I think to ignore any part of it is is not necessarily the way that I would choose to to approach things. So I think that's some mm-hmm. of the value that these books can bring too. So in, enriching. It can be enriching and help us not miss opportunities to connect and to, to be, with, be with somebody. Yeah, so. exactly. Did you have any other quick... I just had a couple that I, I could have yeah. added to this. Yeah, um, go ahead. I mean, you mentioned Mrs. Paul Fried the Claremont. That was absolutely one that I wanted to mention. Um, the Lonely Passion of Judith Hearn, which I've talked about mm-hmm. before, is a perfect example of this as well. A lonely aging person who's dealing with some of her, you know, the realities versus what she, the ways that she views herself. Um, and then another one I've mentioned quite often is Quartet in Autumn by Barbara Pym which is a wonderful one about four people who are at or nearing retirement age and kind of being shuffled out of the business that they've worked in for many years together and and trying to find this new way of living the last part of their lives. Um, And then just a couple more that I I thought about were Tinkers by Paul Harding, Mm -hmm. Difficult Life by Tomas Gonzalez, which I've mentioned quite a few times. And then Olive Kitteridge is another one about a kind of a irascible older woman who is dealing Mm -hmm. with a lot of these same topics that is actually really well done too. So those were just a few that, that came to mind for me. Yeah. Those are great ones. I've read most of them, but um, I did just get difficult light in, from by Tomas Gonzalez in the, from the Harvard bookstore sale. So oh, it was yeah. like, I don't know, three, four or $5. I can't remember, but I've got that now. Yeah. Money <laughs> so very well spent. reading that. I was excited there. I think a lot of people got that one from yeah. that sale and I was really excited because I, I could be wrong, but I didn't feel like it was super well-known before this. Um, I think it was actually Mark Haber who recommended it to me. And oh. I've been trying to spread the word. And I'm I'm happy to see that I feel like a lot of people, not because of me, but just because of that sale, have been exposed to it. Because I really think it's special. Well, things have a way of growing. You know, you inspire one person to buy it in their sale. And then they thank you and say, I bought this. And so I go, well, I better do it too. And then someone else sees that and does it. So, yep, it's yeah. all... It's all part of it. Yeah. Well, so a few of my honorable mentions. I mentioned the remains of the day, mm-hmm. um, which really could have been in my list, but just you know, I, it just wasn't. I just put it down. I mean, last week I did. I did kind of go off on Kazuo Ishiguro, so I didn't feel like it'd be appropriate <laughs> to. <laughs> just kidding. Um, Saint Sebastian's Abyss by Mark Haber oh, yeah. is, in many ways, a book about growing old. It's a uh, you know. Yes, it's about the art, but it's about this relationship, these two friends who who spent most of their life as professional frenemies, you know, friends for a while, but then ultimately enemies. And is, he's going to, he's flying over to Germany to his friend's deathbed and having all of these thoughts um, late in life. And then another one is a children's picture book, Lane Smith's 2001 um, Caldecott Honor book, uh, Grandpa Green, kind of about a, a young boy who is looking around the the garden, you know, these hedges, and starts to see his grandpa's fingers. Grandpa, you know, fingers in the work. I don't mean his actual digits. Yeah. <laughs> not a horror <laughs> you know, story. Right, not a horror story. That this is about his grandpa's life, 
things that his grandpa doesn't remember anymore, mm-hmm. but that he can still use to connect. And I, I really liked that one. It's not one of my favorites. Frankly, I, I tried to figure out if I could figure out how to get Amos a sick day for Amos McGee <laughs> to yeah. come up. And yes, Amos is an older man, but it I didn't feel like it quite applied the way that I was going to have it here. Mm. Um, but I actually wrote down a pretty good list of things that I need to read that I thought might apply. I've seen the miniseries, but never read the book, Paul. Would you think Lonesome Dove, at least in pieces, might apply? Oh, for sure. I actually thought about adding that one, but I oh, did you? <laughs> thought people might be tired of hearing me talk about it. For sure. I mean, it's I don't remember how old the two main characters are, but in in that particular place and time, especially, they're they're, they're, they're old. They're old. <laughs> they're and like they're, thirty-five. No, I, exactly. I know they're older than that. But. <laughs> no, but it's like that whole idea of like the one last cattle drive, and it definitely has that elegiac quality of of it's clear that this is probably the last big thing they're going to be doing. And there's, there's plenty of loss and heartbreak and all kinds of things in that book. So yeah, that's a perfect one. But I wrote down a bunch that I have not read yet, but that I've had on my list for a while. Um, there's uh, our souls at night by Kenton mm-hmm. Harif, like, like you mentioned, um, William Trevor's the old boys. I don't know much about it, but I'm assuming it might be about growing old or old people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kingsley Amos's ending up was on my list. And then John Self pointed out a book by Bernice Rubens a while back called A Five-Year Sentence, which I want to read. It's a woman who's basically at the beginning, she's made the plan. She's going to go home. And sometime that evening, you know, I think it's her last day at work, like a retirement, but I'm not, I'm not sure. So, because mm-hmm. I haven't read it yet, but she's not going to continue. She's going to end her life that night, at like mm-hmm. six or something like that fully planning on doing it, but then someone gifts her a five-year journal. Uh, And so that's what this is, a five-year sentence. Um, I don't know if it's, I don't know even the tone of the book or anything like that, but she's a Booker winner from the past. And this this, um, sounded intriguing to me. And one Muriel Spark book that I've been saving, I don't know why, is Memento Mori. Mm. Um, But I I thought maybe I can read that before this episode, and I didn't quite get around to it. Yeah, um, but there we are. So no, those are a good. few of the honorable mentions that may have made it. I guess they're not honorable mentions because I've never read them, but ones that I thought, oh, I need to get to that. No, it's funny. I the more we talk about this, the more I keep popping into my head. There's one more that's a memoir <laughs> that I, I read um, called "The End of Your Life Book Club" by Will Schwalbe. Um, that was pretty big. I think it came out. I don't remember. Maybe ten years ago. Um, and that's a book about his mom is dying and he's going to her chemo appointments and things like that. And they end up starting to read these books together, different books. It's like they're a little two person book club and he's talking about literature and, and all the ways that it can talk, you know, expose humanity and these conversations they have before she passes away. So that would be another great one that I would think of. That would be kind of a good honorable mention. Yeah. So, yeah, so many, it's such an interesting topic and, I do think that a lot of it is is the fascination that humans have. It's like a fascination and a horror. We're we're drawn to the idea of growing old and, and death and all these things. But so it's like sometimes you push it away, sometimes you keep looking back and you can't help, you know, being drawn <laughs> towards it. So definitely a big topic in literature and art. And one that I've enjoyed talking about today too, you know, I don't I have more thoughts. I feel like now I need to actually go and read some more and come back for a better go around for me being able to articulate some of these things. I feel like I'm on the cusp of some 
I know. some better better things to think about but i guess that's how how it goes sometimes yeah so. <laughs> i feel the same way well maybe we can have a part two where we read some of those ones that were on that most recent list and come back and do it again let's do it when we're old let's do it there in 30 go. 30 years okay we'll be back in our in our 70s we'll we'll come and be growing old part two what, exactly. what have we learned <laughs> So, all right. Well, next time, listeners, we will be back with our summer reading book, um, Willa Cather's A Lost Lady. We've got a special guest joining us for that episode that I'm very excited about. Again, we'll be recording that on August 6th, Saturday, and releasing it the next Thursday. And there will be a giveaway in that for Salka Valka. So, you know, be be download that one so you know how to how to get to to that giveaway. And um We'll see you then. Yeah, see you later, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can follow Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a Patreon at patreon.com mooks. Until next time. <laughs>